The only constant in life is change. At least that's what I've heard. And quite frankly, I seem tend to agree with that statement. I get it. Especially living in a house with two kids who are under three years old. That really resonates with me. Their schedules are constantly changing and adapting. And so my world is always shifting about me. Now before my wife and I had kids, we were told by many people... You get sent home from the hospital with that baby and you get home and there is no instruction manual. But to be quite frank with you this morning, that's not true. In fact, there are too many instruction manuals. There are so many books on how to parent, it is overwhelming. I could give you many recommendations this morning, and all of them would come with a guarantee that this one book saved some parent's life. But I'll tell you, if you live in this community and you know anybody that had a kid in the last few many years, then this single book was recommended, Moms on Call, guaranteed Mom's own call was recommended. It was recommended to us so many times. And in part, because of the schedule that you find in this book. That's the real brilliance of it. Now, I'm not telling you you got to be scheduled parents or not scheduled parents or whatever. But what I find particularly interesting about this book that clearly resonates with our society and our community is that it's very scheduled. And that schedule is always changing and it is broken down by month so you have a schedule for four to six months a schedule for six to nine months there's always some change some adaptation that you need to be applying to your life and that's pretty true in our life with or without kids things are constantly changing now maybe it's not months Maybe you do stay in one season for a number of years, but eventually you're going to move. Eventually you're going to get a new job or your kids will change season of life or you have to take care of a different family member who needs your assistance. Things in our own life are constantly shifting That's within our life, but it's also true in the world about us. The world is always changing. Different fads come along on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, or TikTok. You hear about what the kids these days are doing, uh, whether it's a milk crate challenge or something else. The world is changing around us. Technology is updating and adapting Public health recommendations are being updated and national and international leaders are always changing. Life is shifting for us. We live in a shifting world. But one thing that does not change is God. God is the same today. God will be the same tomorrow. And God was the same yesterday. And with this in mind, our scripture lesson for today comes from Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. It's a passage that is rich in its description of God's nature, God's unchanging 
and consistent nature. So hear the word that comes from Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord passed before him, that's Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, I had heard this verse many times before in my life. I had gone to seminary after all, but it wasn't until I was going through Disciple One here at Northside teaching a class that this verse really jumped out at me. Now, many of you are familiar with Disciple Bible Study. Maybe some of you are not, but it is a 32-week-long class where when you begin in Disciple One, you will read through the Bible beginning to end. You'll skip a few chapters, but you read the majority of the canon of Scripture. And it was in this process of reading and teaching and reflecting on the entire Scripture that this verse and its significance jumped out at me. Because as you read through specifically the Old Testament, what you realize is that God's nature described in this verse shows up again and again and again for God's people. It's used in instruction. It's used in worship. It's used as they remember what God has done. You better believe the Israelite people knew that God was merciful and gracious abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, slow to anger, yet not clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of parents to the generations to come. And this is God's nature. And God's nature is at the very heart of our faith. This description of God comes in Exodus pretty early on in the story, uh, in the scriptures that we have to describe who God is. And I want to address one of the harder parts in this passage, the sentence that it ends on. And I think part of the context in the church around us is helpful to set the stage um, first. Sometimes you'll be in the church and you'll hear people say something along the lines of there's a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. And what they're trying to describe is that they read about some wrath in the Old Testament and it seems like the God of the New Testament is a little bit more gracious. But I'll tell you as Christians, we do not believe that there is a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. God is the same today and tomorrow, yesterday and the day before yesterday. God is the same and that God's nature is one of overwhelming grace, mercy, and forgiveness. But what people specifically wrestle with in this passage is that last verse. How do we really make heads and tails of that sentence talking about God not clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the parents to the children and children's children and generations 
to come. Now, there is a lot to unpack in this type of sentence. And I'll do it in just a moment, but I do want to give a brief commercial for those who might uh, really want to wrestle with this passage and dig in even further. The church has a podcast called Dialogic Disciple. It's hosted by James Johnson and Nick Houston. And this past week, I was on there, and we, the three of us, wrestled with this verse. We looked at different thoughts and feelings and ways to approach these ideas and God's nature. So if you're looking for another place to dive in, then I invite you to find Dialogic Disciple, like and subscribe, but really listen to it and wrestle with God's nature as we do. But for this morning, I want to say three things about this particular verse. First, it seems on the surface that there is some kind of proportional and reciprocal relationship in God's nature between our actions and sin and the grace of God. But that proportional and reciprocal relationship that we have with God is not how the language in the Bible works. This is a writing of poetry. It's not a math formula. It's not a closed system for understanding how God functions. This is a book of poetry, a section of poetry to be sure. And second, even if it was, as the prophets were talking about it, Jeremiah, later on in verse 31, says each person will be accountable for their own sin. It's the passage where he talks about the law being written, a covenant upon our hearts. He says that parents and children will be held accountable for their own sin. But third, I think most importantly to notice about this passage is that the overwhelming nature of God is one of grace and forgiveness. God forgiving to the thousandth generation and even beyond. And the number for holding one accountable is the third and fourth. God is infinitely more gracious and merciful. But we can't ignore the fact that there is sin in our life and there are consequences for that sin. And I find it uh, digestible to look at the example of disciplining a child, which leads me to bath time the other night at my house. Now, as a little preface, I would put my kids up against any other kids. They are smart, they are sweet, they are the best kids. They come by it honestly from their mother. And they are such good kids, but like any of us, they are not perfect. And so this story is about my son, and there's a series of events that led us to going to bedtime and bath time early the other night. I'll let you use your imagination about what that scene looked like. But we're going to bath, and I am explaining what is going on to my two-year-old son with great repetition, explaining that because of X, now we are going to bed early. Because you did this thing, now there is a consequence. And after explaining the nature of consequences, a couple of times to my kid, he looked up at me from the tub, surrounded by bubbles, with the most sincere face and genuine eyes and said, Daddy, 
I don't like consequences. And none of us do. That's the truth in our life. But there are consequences for our actions. And we know that those consequences impact not only our life, but the life of people around us as well. It might cause chaos in our life. It might cause chaos in the world about us. But in the midst of those changing times and those consequences, God is still steadfast. God is merciful and gracious and forgiving of our iniquities. Now, maybe some of you were with us throughout the summer. All summer we did a summer series on the Ten Commandments. And each week we would look at a different one of the ten. And if you've read the Ten Commandments, you know they're fairly simple to understand at a surface level. It doesn't take uh, a degree or context or anything to be able to understand what the Ten Commandments mean. But as you dive into it, not only are they simple, but they are profound. And part of what we discovered was that no matter how simple a commandment might seem on the surface level, none of them are easy to keep. We all fall short with each one. And so it's no mistake that our passage today comes from Exodus 34, which is 14 chapters after Exodus 20, where the Ten Commandments are. And following that Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, we read about how God gives a few more laws and commands of the way the people should live together. They agree to this covenant. But immediately before chapter 34, which we read from, you watch the people of God stray from God right away. They break the first two commandments. It's horrible. There was no time given. And in the midst of this uh, catastrophic failure by the Israelites, we get God revealing God's nature. That God is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. That is how God was then, and that is how God is today. And we're all on a journey in life. I think oftentimes we look at somebody else and assume they are fixed. That person just is the way they are going to be. No change in them. But when we look at ourselves, we're always trying to improve. We're trying to get better, be the best version of ourselves. And in the church, we call this sanctification. It's the process of becoming holier. It's the process of making our heart like God's. And if we need a target for making our life like God's, then Exodus 34, 6 and 7, is our target. It means that we would be more merciful Gracious, slower to anger, easier to forgive and be faithful. Not forgetting any transgression or any iniquity, holding them accountable and facing consequences, but doing so with an overwhelming nature towards grace. And when we do this with others, we grow in our relationship with God. 
And the way this relationship is explained in Exodus is as a covenant. One where we make commitments to God and God makes promises to us. And we see in Moses a restoration of this covenant. A making right of the relationship with God. And immediately after Moses hears about God's nature, hears God's name actually is what this is, he makes one request. And I want you to think, what would your one request be? If you and your people had gone astray, messed up, broken a relationship, and then you hear that you can be forgiven, what would you ask of God? Or what would you say to God at that point? Moses says, if you do approve me, Lord, go with us. Moses' one request is that God would be present on the journey. God is present with us. God is steadfast. And what does that promise mean? It doesn't mean that nothing will change. It doesn't mean that there are no consequences. It means that God is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That is the great promise of this covenant relationship we get to experience with the God of the universe. And God will be with us. That God will be with us on the journey. This is actually the same promise we see in Jesus. We are forgiven. It's the same promise we see in the Holy Spirit, that God is with us. We have access to the power of God. It's a beautiful promise. It's a promise of our relationship with God, and it is what we strive for as Christians. So I'm going to invite the band to come back out, and as they make their way onto the stage, I want you to ask yourself, what would it look like in your own life, in your own relationships, if you resembled this nature to others, if you were more merciful and gracious, slower to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Pray with me. Holy God, we ask that you would make us holier, that we would look like you, you, that our heart would be like yours, that you would take these moments and change us and mold us into the people that you have called us to be, the people that you have always called us to be, your people a light to the world that is constantly shifting and changing, a light of grace. It's in your name we pray. Amen.